on the machine. Okay. Yes. All right. It's recording. Okay, so this is our second intro to the Basar Lagani Mimer. We gave some history, but let me just make a quick recap of the recap for you and for everyone else who's joining us right now. There is, there are, in Scripture, in the 24 books that we are called the Tanakh, one sefer is called Shir Hashirim, that was written by King Solomon, and he writes the following. He writes what God said, really what God experienced when he came down on Mount Sinai to give us the Torah. There's a big difference, you should know, between how you, how I feel when you come to a place for the first time, versus to returning to a place where you have previously been. When you have already been in a place, it comes with luggage, good luggage, bad luggage, both. But let's speak in the positive. If you have been to a place and you had the most amazing experience, it's very heartwarming when you return. I'm seeing a note that people cannot hear. Can you guys, can you guys hear? Okay, okay. So here's the story. First of all, God is everywhere. So the meaning of God arriving at a place has to be explained, and we'll explain that another time. But we have this concept in the Torah that God is going, God is coming, God went here, God went there. There, there are many, it's called in English, anthropomorphic expressions. Anthropomorphic means human-like qualities that the Torah attributes to God. Now this is a huge topic, which is addressed, it's addressed in Kabbalah, it's addressed in Hasidus. But the reality is, is that you open up a Chumash, like this week's Parsha, yesterday's Chitas, right? So it says that the people, the people were behaving horribly in the region of Sodom. And God says, I will go down to see whether what I'm hearing about Sodom is accurate, and then I'm going to annihilate them, which he did, or whether it's not so bad. This is a verse in the Chumash. I know it's very problematic. What God has to go down to see, doesn't Hashem already know? What does it mean that Hashem has to make a decision? We have to make decisions because we are ill-informed. We're imperfect. So maybe when we get more information, we'll come to a different conclusion. All of these topics are important, but we're not going to touch it. The bottom line is, is that the Torah is filled with illusions, which makes it sound as if Hashem is like human-like. So he's interested, he's engaged, he's not engaged, he comes and he goes. And this is a verse where King Solomon says that God said, Basalagani, I came back to my garden, to my sister and to my bride. Which are beautiful words, words that God is saying how he felt when he came to Mount Sinai. Now, that's a big statement. He's saying that when he came to give the Jewish people the Torah, he did not come here for the first time, but I came back to my garden, to my garden, to my sister and to my bride. Now, are we God's sister? Are we God's bride? Can't have it both ways. One is not allowed to marry one sister, and that's not the topic that we're focusing on. We're simply focusing on this statement, that God said, I came back to my garden. And from here, we know from Scripture that God was here. This was His home. And like, like any person who is in your home, you're the Balabayit. 
you get to determine how comfortable they will feel. And if you really know what you're doing and your mother-in-law comes, you will see to it that she will leave. It's just a matter of time. You can make someone that uncomfortable. Unless God gave you, I'm not talking to you, talking about to out there, unless you have the schus of having a mother-in-law that no matter what you do, she stays. I don't know what to do with that. But, so it's up to you. And this is, these are big statements. And a lot of Hasidus is explaining this concept that God is the boss. God was fed up with being the boss. God already had that. The whole reason why he created here, God wanted to have a reality where he does not determine whether he will be here or not. God created a reality and he gave us that much power that we get to choose, we get to determine whether God will be at home or not. All of these statements are very big. We're dedicating this class to the four Shulema to Sarah Miriam Basar. Okay, so now, which means that God was here and because of choices that we made, God felt uncomfortable. We can, it's so relatable. It makes God so human-like. Mamish, you, you know, which environment will you go in? Into a, an environment where you will feel at home. Now, if it's your home, it's upon you to kick out the people that are making you uncomfortable. But if you are not, if it's not your home, if you are the guest at someone else's home, then who gets to determine, you know, the setting, the mood, the environment is set by the balabayit, by the, by the hostess. And there's a lot of power there. And that's exactly what God wanted. God had enough of him being the one in control. There is that world also. There are many worlds in where God is the balabayit. God determines whether we go to Ganeidon or not. He's the boss. In this world, God gave us that power. And God is awaiting, he's wanting, he desires for us to make him feel at home. And when God, creating the world because of man's choice, that was not what God wanted. God did not feel that this is his home. He left. It took a couple of thousands of years. It took 2,448 years and God returned. And when he returned, he felt so good. He says, ah, I came back to my garden, to my sister, to my bride. That's the verse. Says Hasidus that King Solomon could not have only be speaking about that one moment. Because it's not a history book. It's nice to know that God felt so welcomed and he felt, finally I came back. But now what? Now what? Now what is a few days after God gave us the Torah, we again chose something which made Hashem not feel that at home. But we did tshuva right away. And you know what God said? Like any person who is afraid of getting hurt will say, whoa, I would, I would have wanted to be at home around the whole world. I would have wanted to have felt at home. I tried it once. You guys made me uncomfortable. I tried it twice. Right? And again, you made me feel uncomfortable. And you guys are saying, no, 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 tshuva. Fine, I'll forgive you. But now I'll be very cautious. When I'm coming back the third time, which Hashem did, I want you to mamish build me a home, just a little home. We call that the Mishkan, later the temple, which is a very small place. There I will be at home. Says Hasidus, God does not want to end up with only the Mishkan. God still desires to feel at home in the whole world. He only began to come back in the Mishkan. And from then until the coming of Mashiach, we, as our mission statement, we have to do what we need to do to make God feel at home in the whole world. 
And this explains, this is the bigger underlying explanation of the divine providence, literally the specific hand of God in your life, in my life. Why do you live over here? In other words, that, that the Rebbe who very much wanted for people, let's say after the Holocaust, to go all around the world, even though we had the option of everyone moving to Israel, is because the mystical understanding of our purpose here in, in, the, in, the, in this world is to bring God everywhere, mamish. And my, your soul was destined to live exactly where it's living, to, to the house, to the, to the location in the house. And you and I will have to do, basically, work, the mystical work of making God feel at home. So that's, that's the first building block over here. And until the coming of Mashiach, God has the Jewish people spread around the whole world. And if you look at the bigger Jewish history, there was no continent in which Jews did not live in. And the, and, and, and the Adizal, who's going into the mysticism, will tell you that, for example, when the Jewish people were expelled from Spain, it was a very tragic exit. A lot of Jewish blood was shed and a lot of suffering was brought about. But the underlying mystical reason of why were we kicked out of Spain is because we did our job in Spain. If we would have done it perhaps even better, we would have exited Spain with glory. We did not leave with glory. We left Egypt in glory. We left Spain in, 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 with, with shame and with, with exile. But we finished our job there. But God doesn't only want to be at home in Spain. God wants to be at home everywhere. And the Jewish people throughout the exile have moved all around the globe. And then finally, the last Golos is the Golos of the Americas. Which is from the last places in the world that people that 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 people that are keeping mitzvahs moved into. We're speaking about the Americas. We're speaking about Australia and New Zealand. These are the final frontiers. And there's something that we need to do that will make God feel at home there. And the end game will be is that God will feel at home in the whole world, and He won't feel vulnerable that maybe again He'll kick me out because we have matured to the point that we will never kick out. We will never do that again. How do you make God feel at home? So there is an external answer and we're going to go into the inner answer. And the inner answer of the Maimon that we spoke about last week, making God feel at home in the world does not mean to live in a place and to disengage from the bad of the place and to create a bubble in which we live in. Meaning, even if you would geographically move into a location, let's say everyone around there are doing exactly the opposite of what God wants. But I'm going to have a kosher home and I'm going to have a holy home. So God is at home in my corner that will not do it. The way we make God feel at home in the place we live in is by dafka engaging with, with that, with the reality in which we live. But that's very difficult because if you create a ghetto which is what most Orthodox Jews do by nature. You just isolate yourself and then in there you keep it very nice and pure. Then you're not tempted or challenged and the chances of you or I falling prey to the, to the, to the, to the unkosher parts of the world is minimized because I'm not engaged with them. But being that the whole point is, is that the only way I can make Hashem feel at home here in LA is by getting involved in the LA culture and being involved with my, my surroundings in a kosher way. 
not, I don't have to go to a nightclub, but I have to speak to my neighbors and I have to engage with people and I have to understand their culture and I have to have some contact with, with, with the mediums. So you understand from the film and from the radio, you have to have some shaykhs to this world to understand where is the world at. And then we have to go ahead and we have to challenge it and we have to better it and we have to bring God into a godless environment. Now I'm, I'm, I'm at risk. I'm at risk. I'm not going to wear a mask. I'm going to take off my spiritual. I'm engaged with the world. So for that, you have to have, like we spoke out last week, Hiskafia, I will have to develop my power of discipline, of inner discipline. That means that when I confront something which looks very attractive, and I'm, I'm confronting it a lot, I'm not running away from it, I'm in it. Now I need the koyach to say no to it. Hiskafia, Hiskafia is the key word here. Bending, subduing, suppressing, which only works for a short amount of time. Suppression is never a long-term strategy. So the second step is after we learn, after we develop the discipline of saying no to, the, to, the, to that which is not kosher in our world, not saying no by simply ignoring it, but by, by being in the world and saying no to that which no has to be said to, ultimately I'm going to have to find the good in it and there's good in everything. And I'm going to have to channel the good in the service of God. Everyone is doing this, you just don't have the words for it. That's exactly what we're doing, even before hearing the mind word. That you get involved in the world, and you start to interact with people, and with things, and with ideas. And deep down, we know from our neshama, this is not exactly, it has to be a little bit different. And then sometimes it's easy, sometimes, ooh, you know, I know it has to be different, but my Yetzir Hada says, this is amazing. And then we, you know, we dive into that for one day or for 20 years, and then we mature and we say, no, 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 I gotta better it. And again, bettering it is not just bettering me. I'm not here to save me, I'm not here for me. I gotta get everyone around me on board. That takes a lot of work. And then ultimately, again, once I know how to say no, I'm able not only to say no, but I'm able to transform whatever it is that the way it's presented is not kosher, I can make it kosher. God gives an animal. The animal is not kosher, but after you shecht it, after you salt it, after you this it, and that it, you make it kosher. That goes to almost everything in this world. There are certain things that may never, that has no good in it, but that's a very small amount of the reality. But most things have good and bad in it. Have good and bad in it. And we have to be cautious not to be caught into it, because it's always presented, at least for younger people, very attractive, and you wanna, you wanna, you wanna just embrace it. And again, the, the typical reaction is, stay away from this. Stay, I don't want my kid to even watch that. And by kids, it, correct, we're speaking here about adults. Yeah, there is a time and a place to create a ghetto. No exposure. But when we become adults, we will be exposed to certain things that exist uniquely here in L.A. And our avoid will be to engage with it. Firstly, making sure that I don't fall prey to whatever it is that's not kosher. And secondly, for me to use that to serve Hashem. So there's an amazing film industry when Mashiach will come, every Parsha the Chumash will be another episode. That's what's going to happen. And they're the best actors, Goyim also, they'll be acting it out. That's, that's the end game. And our kids won't stop learning Torah because it's going to be all of the shtus of this world with the, it's attractive and it's exciting and it's engaging and it's audio and all the side effects will have that for the Chumash. Can you imagine? And then you're going to have one film, Rashi's version of the story, then you'll have episode number two, Rambam's episode of the story, and then you'll never safe. 
that's the end goal. In other words, that's the meaning that you're taking the world that you live in and, and you're, you're, you're first, you're not falling prey to the parts of it that is not kosher, but you ultimately have to use it for why God made it. Why did God make all this? It's beautiful. It's powerful. It's made. It should be used to educate, to inform, to engage, to help, to convince, but to convince what? Not the shtus of the director, but to convince the world of the ideas that God has. We're, we are all doing it, but these are the words. So these, this is the Nakot. In other words, the goal is to be where you are, to be where I am. Bechlal and Chabad, we didn't add, again, we don't tell everyone has to make Aliyah. We don't follow that path. We respect people that follow that path. We actually understand that we need to be exactly where we are. And the greatest tzaddikim, the Rebbes, would not tell everyone to go to Israel. Because how can I transform LA culture if I live in Israel? I cannot. If you're not in it, you cannot transform it. You can just stand outside like the big judge and say, oh, that's good, or oh, that's bad. No one needs another judge. Plenty of judges. We need, we need soldiers. You have to get into a scenario and you have to transform it. Through his kafya and his apcha. This is more or less what we said last week. We just came from another angle, which makes it clear. So far, so good. It's, it's good. It's good because it just resonates. We're doing this anyways. It's just a certain way of wording it, which will allow us to really springboard and go deep. The second half a of the... big wow, Rabbi, a big wow. Thank you, Bela. The second half of the mimer, the second half of the mimer, and actually, as we go further, we're going to be focusing a lot more on the second half than, in the third, than on the first half. The Rebbe is speaking about the fact that who will make this happen, who will make the world into a home for God, the foot soldier. Let me tell you what I mean. We're using the army as an analogy. When you have an army, if anyone here was part of an army, of the U.S. Army, of the Israeli Army, there's a whole hierarchy. You have the generals and then you have all different types of ranks. And in, in, at first glance, who, who should be honored more? The higher rank, the greater covet. That's the way it works, right? If a simple soldier walks into the room, you don't have to stand for him or for her. But if you have the Grace Major, they walk into the room, ooh, you have to stand up, you have to salute them because the higher the rank, the greater the person. And there is a truth to that, but not in our context. In our context, like in a war, let's use war as an analogy, who wins the war? Not with whose strategy do you endure. Who actually wins the war? The foot soldier. Mamish. And they are underappreciated. In other words, the strategy is made by the general. The tools, the arms that are needed are made by the government. They're going to give you, the taxpayer. But who does the job? It's amazing. Who ends up doing the job in most cases is not the chasha, the big person. Dafke, the soldier, meaning the foot soldier, the one who's on the lowest rank because you have the most of them around. The higher the, huh? the pawn. The, who wins the battle? The pawn. And how meaningful is it that whoever made up the game of chess, which, which player can transform itself into even the queen? Only the pawn. Only the pawn. This is reflecting a big truth. The Rebbe spoke about that when he spoke once about chess, when there was a big chess master in 770. And that's a big theme about that on one hand, we should not elude ourselves to think that we are who we are not. We are not the big generals. We are not the great tzaddikim. When I say we, I mean most of us, there's always great tzaddikim, but they are in the great minority. And you don't need to be a tzaddik to be part of this. Adarabah. You, simple, the point. We, are, we, we will win the war 
But the pawn wins the war if they're given the right arms. No, it's we need to be given tools to be able to do the battle. Who gives us the tools? The generals. Who gives us the tool? Beginning with God. We have mamish divine power. And the tzaddikim of each generation know how to channel this power to you for what you need, to you for what you need. And it could very much be that when you were born, you were born with certain natural talents. And because of your choice, your choice of my choice to live in a certain place, and by divine providence, a unique type of challenge came our way, you will be gifted new gifts from God, spiritual gifts, new tools, new arms, new weapons to be able to conquer a specific battle. It's always going to be by exercising discipline, hiskafia. Don't be dragged in by the schmutz of the world. Know how to say no. No meaning N-K-N-O-W. You have to know how to really say no. You know the story of Beishamai that someone wanted to convert, so they came to Beishamai and they told Shammai, tell me the whole Torah when I'm standing on one foot. And Shammai kicked him out of the house with a, with a measure. He had a measuring stick. He had a ruler. It's like the good old days in Cheder, whenever you didn't learn, there was a very good remedy for all types of, all, if you have HDHD, ODD, all the Ds, they had a ruler. You put your hand out, and when they slapped you, it cured everything. It's amazing. Then, now, every... So, so Shammai had a rule, and he kicked the guy out. And he comes to Hillel, and he tells Hillel, tell me the whole Torah when I'm standing on one foot. And Hillel says, whatever you don't like to be done to you, don't do to your fellow. And the Rebbe said... That don't think Shammai did not give an answer. Shammai gave an answer. The whole Judaism is being, to, being able to kick out of your house something that doesn't belong there. That's a great answer. Hillel also gave a great answer. The whole Judaism is don't do to your fellow what you don't want to be done to you. Very nice. Everyone knows that very nice. We have to appreciate Shammai. In order to really fulfill our mission, we have to be able to say no. And... Our words is hiskafia, bend yourself. Saying no sometimes is easy. Sometimes saying no is very difficult. It's almost impossible. And God gives us the koyach to say no. And if that which is in our world is even more tempting than the general, and everyone will give us greater, greater weapons, but we got to do the job. We have to do the job. And you can have the greatest tzaddikim in the world if the foot soldiers, if the pawns are not doing their part, Mashiach will not come. In other words, the goal is to make God feel at home in the entire world. Who's going to do that? You have your part of the world. I have my part of the world. And everyone has to do their part. If you are not doing your part, it's incomplete. Now, what type of tools does the, does the king give? So let me tell you the words of the Mimer. says that Eben the Mimer, that when there is a war, and the king understands that he must win the war, he doesn't just give you the tools. The king has treasures. And whenever he knows that without going into the treasury with the current standard weapons, you can't win, once he opens up the treasury, he doesn't measure and give you only what you need. I'll give you 50 bullets. Once he starts, once the king says, oh, this battle is life or death, I got to win this war. It's so funny how people are, even people that are very stingy and careful, so they're careful when they spend, but there are certain moments, once they start spending, oh my God. <laughs> it's called bizbuz ha'otzrot. Otzed means a treasure. Bizbuz, bizbuz means that you're almost shaming it because you're, 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 you're throwing it. 
you're giving beyond what's needed. And to win this battle, right before Mashiach, which is our generation, all of the tools that were given in the past do not suffice. That's how difficult the last, the last battle is. And for that, the king is giving us new powers that we have today that we never had in the past. And it's not only being given to us, but it's being given to us abundantly, like almost beyond of what you need. There is a bizbul soitris. And if need be, the king is willing to die in battle. That is more or less the second half of the Maimon. The way what we understand is, is that the Rebbe passed away. And that is connected mystically to us getting even more access to him and us getting even more power. But we have to do our job. And that's the whole model of Mashiach, that it's not that one great person will, bring it, will make it happen. And we just got to do what we got to do. No, 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 no. That we are all involved in this big mystic battle. There's this big battle going on between forces that don't want God to feel at home. Why should they want? They want to do what they want. They want to feel at home. And a lot of what God wants, it's like, it's like having any guest. You'll have, you'll be gifted with a guest. Sometimes you already had such a guest that they will like your kitchen to be set up different. And every time you disappear, they move this here and they put that there. If, if you didn't have it yet, you'll have it. They won't do it in front of you. And it bothers them that you're putting it back to your order. And it, it boils down to who's the, who's, who's the balabas? Whose house is it? And that's exactly the irony. God wants this to be here and that to be there. You rest during Shabbos. You work during the week. And we say, no, 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 God, I like, I like rest. I like to rest Sunday. I'm going to move the furniture around. And, it's, and we're constantly tugging and pushing. And God says, let me alone. Shalom. See, God is so humble. Your guest won't be that humble. That's the challenge. They stay and they fight. God never fought. That's why God is humble. You, you don't want me? You don't like it the way I like it? Then I, I'm not going to be here. That God won't do. I'm not going to be in an environment where, where the hot water is. I need it on the right, God says. And God has so much stuff. Look at the Shulchan Aruch. If you think you have stuff, God tops all of us. We have like, the whole Shulchan Aruch is basically, God is saying, with, with all the details, like, wow, my God, I need, I like this to be like this. I need this to be like that. And we think, no, I'm a good guest. When I come, I don't care if the chicken is like this, chicken is like that. God cares. God will only come for us to be kosher. That means you have to shecht it like this, and you have to salt it like this, and don't make it. And the moment we say to God, man, you're nuts, he leaves. It's okay. You don't have to want me, but it's mamish. Books, imagine a guest that will give you a shulchan aruch. You want me in your house? Go learn this. That's exactly what God did to us. It can be a little bit humorous, but that's a video what it is. And it's not just the out, outer letter of the law, which of course is important. It's also this, this, this engagement with the world. And taka, we have this chos and, 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 and the challenge of living in a, in, a, in, in a power place. There is a lot of culture in the world that is the tone is set over here. It's amazing. And you know people that know the people that really affect the way people think throughout the world. Mamish. Remember there were recently, a few years ago, they made, they made a blackbuster movie, Noach. Noah. Noah. The little bit of Emmis, I know who it came from. Mamish, that the director went to Torah classes in a Chabad house. And had, had the director gone a few more times, 
Like it's such a pity. First of all, a lot of it was accurate and a lot of it was not. And the accurate story is just as good as the shtus that he wrote. It, it wouldn't have even, it, it wouldn't have diminished the quality of the chaval. Like when Mashiach will come, they'll make noyach taka the way it happened. You don't have to tweak it. Mamash, the real story is better, is better than any made up story. Much better. Now again, you know, there's just the way that you present it. But there are some details there that are shtus chaval. And we could have, you know, we'll get it better. We got it good, we'll get it better. We have a lot of, we have a lot of koyach here. You just have to be more engaged with more people. You have to be prouder about Yiddish. You have to become more informed. We have to know the Torah. We have to know the Torah a lot better. And, and there's also this whole thing that you have so many Christians that someone told me that in America they made, they made the, the, the ark. They made a museum. They made an ark, a physical ark. It's a tourist attraction. In the dimensions that they think the Torah says. You can Google it. It's like they say it's amazing. I wanted to go there. They told me don't go there. It's filled with Yashka. I wanted to go there with my family. And they have, they try to figure out how did everyone fit everywhere. And everyone fits everywhere with the dimensions that it says. They have fake animals in there, but they made real replicas of fake animals. It's like it's a phenomenal thing. Noyach's Ark. Noah's Ark. We have to make one, the Emissa one. It's going to happen. That's the, that's the meaning of we have to be in this world. We have to be engaged with the, with the world. We're going to have to have more discipline and we have to transform it. And you, you have to do it. I have to do it. Not because we are the greatest tzaddikim. No, we're not. We are foot soldiers that are gifted with, we have the greatest weapons that, ever, that was ever given. And that's why also physically the world now has weapons that it never had before. This is just mirroring. And the world's weapons that you have are the most destructive weapons that ever existed. Why, why does that exist? A uh, hundred years ago, you didn't have these types of weapons. Now we can destroy the world. Do you know why we have these weapons? Because everything is in a balance. It's because now we have exactly the same in the positive. You, just, you can't see it. You can't point to it. It's this. We have positive nuclear weapons. And now they have hypersonic missiles that it goes six times, six Mac. Shkoyach. So instead of you blowing up the world in 30 seconds, now they'll do it in 20 seconds. Ha! And why does that exist? Because it's all from the positive, because now we have an ability to affect things a lot quicker. A lot quicker. Since we have it in the good, so therefore, until Mashiach comes, it's going to manifest in the bad. And we have to use these powers. So the, what we are building up to is that what are the, what are the treasures? The, the Rebbe is going to speak about the treasures. And what does it mean that God gives us those treasures? What does that mean? So let me give the last word of introduction before we continue. We'll take questions and then we'll continue next week. And here are the words. I'm giving you words. That there is God. And then there is the light that emanates from God. That's called the infinite light. For people who learn Kabbalah, it's called the Oir Ein Soif. Oir Ein Soif. Many people are familiar with that term. What's a little bit less known is that it says in Tikkunai Zoyar, speaking about this infinite light, that how do you define infinite? And even though, of course, God is beyond space, but he uses spatial terms. These are the words of the Zoyar, that God's infinite light is Lamaila Adenkates. It goes up until with no end, and it goes down without Tachlis. We'll leave that word for next week. So there's a light 
that goes up and up and even higher up with no end, and that light also goes down and down, and there's no, there's no limit to how low it can go. Hasidus explains what does that mean. Listen to these words. The light of God that goes down with no limit means that no matter how lowly of a reality we create, somehow God will always pop out. There's going to be some ray of godly light even in the lowest of the lowest of the low. This is true in people that even the worst, the most horrible of people against their will at times they did something that, oh, you see, there is still hope. There is still some light. And even in the lowest of realities, there's always going to be a little ray of godly light. Very little. Not good. Never, never enough. But just to be aware that if a person thinks that I'm in such a godless place or I'm with such godless people, that it's lo shayach, that I'm gonna, that there's going to be mercy or there's going to be something that comes from God. No, no, that's not true. God, because of God's infinity, you can never block God out totally. Not because we don't try. Oh, we try because God is infinite and his light therefore goes lower and lower. You made even a lower reality. Hashem is going to trickle through there. That's the meaning of ulamata adin tachlis. Ulamayla adin kates, that God's light goes up and up means in the opposite. It's like a kind of a paradox. That we can never really know the light of God. It's elusive from us. And no matter how spiritual you get, no matter how high up you go, not now that I reach that level, now I'll know God. God will always be higher than you. God is elusive. You will never see God's light. You'll go to Gan Eden, this infinite light will remain above you. Even though you went up higher, God is still higher. So there is this dichotomy, this paradox with godliness that on one hand, you can never block God out. There's going to be some manifestation of godly light, but you'll never fully get it. You'll never, not you, no one, no matter how great a person is, no matter how great a tzaddik is, no matter how great an angel is, no matter how high, high up you go, God is even higher. And what the Rebbe will explain, beginning with this year's chapter, as we spoke out last week, is that the treasure that God gives us right before Mashiach will come, is that this level of the light that is elusive, that is higher and higher, that no one was able to get, God gives us that light. That means that we now have access to a certain divine light that is by definition inaccessible. Now, if it's inaccessible, how do we have access? That has to be explained. Like, how does it work? But there's a koyach that we have now as we come towards the coming of Mashiach that we have to use. If we're not going to use it, sitting and waiting will get us nowhere. We have access to God's treasure. The treasure of God is the level of His infinite light that is beyond us, that is by definition elusive, and that is what we are gifted with. And once we have that, that light, once we take it, we have to know what it means, we have to know what it means, what to take it, then we all have the greatest ability to be involved in any reality and to properly say no to that which we have to say no to, to and then to be able to use that reality to find the silver lining and to transform it and to use it in the service of God. 
That will serve as, in, as intro number two. Any questions? I have a comment. Okay. Um, so I was really um, tuned into when you're saying about the, the making the movie and that and we have to be here in this world to do that. So I'm so excited that Hashem put me through to, to the path of becoming a production designer and a set designer because my mind is always thinking about how things look and how to draw it, how to paint it, how to make it. Every time I hear the Pasha, it all becomes very visual for me. So I'm very excited. And I'm going to be a production designer for this mission. But Bela, the point is, is that you have to start now, not after Mashiach comes. Okay, so point me in the right direction. I'm in with eighteen dollars. Here you go. <laughs> uh, you need a like five million. Okay, good. I need a studio. I need a studio. Among, amongst other things. Oh, right, good. But uh, exactly. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I have a question. Sure. So, so basically, you're saying that the Jews have to be the light onto other nations kind of like light into the world, right? Okay. Then why are, why do we tend to like actually stay in and like be the light onto just Jews? So basically, is it more important to help within our community and then like try to spread light First of all, historically, we, we de facto, we are a light upon the nations. If you would look at today's world, yeah. whether it is science, whether it is medicine, whether it is technology, the, the proportion of influence that we had on the reality that we live in, on this house, on the computer, on this phone, compared to the fact that we are in numbers 0.02 nothing percent, no, we, we are a light on top, upon the world. That's first of all. Second of all, the Jewish people, most of them who actually innovated with, with, with ideas and things that benefited the world, or hopefully at least in most benefited the world, but are very impactful. In most cases, they were not Torah observant Jews, but the ideas that they had, the way that they think was deeply influenced by their grandfather who was very Torah observant, who was learning Torah. I, what I foresee is that when Moshiach will come, it's going to be the Orthodox Jew that's going to directly be connected to the world. And you're right, it's not yet happening. I see that as being indirect. And I believe that all of these people that made these discoveries, if they would not have come from an observant home two or three generations, they would not have channeled these ideas. And I'm saying a fact. I'm saying people wrote books on that. How all of these great people, how this one's grandfather was a rabbi here. I'm not, I'm not going back 10 generations. Going back a few generations. Which means that this person's father or mother was, was brought up in a religious home. Which has a unique way of thinking, which is godlike. So we are a light upon the nations. And you are right. We have to get better at that. It definitely begins, from, our, from my perspective, by being observant. That's the beginning of the beginning. Because the, the being observant is like the furniture in the house. Literally, God likes this food. If I'm going to make food that he doesn't like, he will not come to my house. He's not going to hurt me. He's going to say, fine, I won't. you don't want me here. I'm not going to be here. I'll be from the distance. I'll help you from the distance. And God would, would have preferred to be invited in. We, we give a lot, of, a lot of importance to the external observance of Judaism. It doesn't end with that. But it begins with that. Begins with that. And once I'm set up in that way, then I have to go 
and, and bring it, and we're not proselytizing for the Nanjo to keep Shabbos at all. But, but the, 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 the universal ideas of Judaism, beginning that there's a God that's deeply involved with every little thing and would like to feel at home everywhere, beginning with that, that's something that the world has to hear a lot more, especially the world that we live in. And it really is a game changer. It's a game changer. It's, it's a difficult, it doesn't look that way. So you have COVID and people randomly are getting sick and dying, etc. And we are saying that not every single person that got sick was destined to be sick. This doesn't absolve my responsibility of preventing it to the most of my ability. These are all the theological topics, but, but, but everything that happens is exactly the way God wanted it. It's a whole different world. It's a different universe. And it's important not only for me to think that way, but for me to influence everyone to think that way. Correct. I agree with you, and I think there's work to be done. The Wi-Fi is amazing. <laughs> it's so good because it's perfect. Because those people who are talking and I can't hear you is because God is saving me. I don't have to hear you. Perfect. So it's all Hashem. Phone. It's all Hashem. And you know, it's, it's like... <laughs> just kidding. All right. Chevrot, have a wonderful week. To be con- a lot more to be continued. We're just starting. Shalom. So this is your machine. If you can just send it and put it on the chat, that would be great.